Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which our guest today uh, gave a fantastic presentation at a few years ago, and we're excited to resume those conferences uh, in September in New York this year for the first time. Uh, but uh, our goal at those conferences and our goal on these SALT Talks is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Gary Vaynerchuk to SALT Talks, Gary V, uh, as he's known to many. Uh, He's a man who needs no introduction, but I'll give an introduction anyways. Uh, Gary is a serial entrepreneur, and he serves as the chairman of VaynerX and the CEO of VaynerMedia. Uh, Gary is considered one of the leading global minds on what's next in culture, relevance, and the internet. Known to many, as I mentioned, as Gary V, he's described as one of the most forward thinkers in business. He acutely recognizes trends and patterns early to help others understand how these shifts impact markets and consumer behavior. Whether it's emerging artists, esports, NFT investing, which is what we're going to talk about here today, or digital communications, Gary understands how to bring brand relevance to the forefront. He's a prolific angel investor uh, with early investments in companies including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Venmo, Snapchat, and most recently, Coinbase. Uh, Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony's also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. You know, and best-selling author and wine connoisseur, wine genius, I might add, fellow Hunt and Fish Club owner. You said best-selling author. I thought you were referring to yourself. And uh, I was going to out you for having bought so many books okay. and put them in your basement. Gary, I am a best-selling author. If you don't believe me, come into my basement. <laughs> every copy that I had to buy. So that's where Darcy was going, okay? Uh, I know Even where Darcy's going. We're back in our offices. I shoved Darcy in the closet. That's why he has that low hagiography going there. Okay, but you're still looking good, Darcy. But oh, Gary, yes, sir. Gary, you're great at explaining things in a simple way. And I want to go right to this because this is big in your life right now. In your own words, what are NFTs? NFTs are non-fungible tokens. That's what it stands for. They're digital representations that take up a block on the blockchain that references to a piece of data, but has an underlining smart contract underneath it that you can use for amazing creativity. So a couple things. Let me take a step back because that meant very little to everybody. Let me do it my way and thank you for saying that. Does a blue check on Instagram and Twitter matter? Because it's a digital thing, but does it matter? I believe it does. Um, Does a Fortnite skin matter or a Roblox or, or a game up or did a sheep matter to some of the people that are watching right now that played Farmville? Do digital assets mean something in a world where humans spend so much time in digital? And so what I think we're talking about, actually, Anthony, is social currency, no different than what car you drive, where you live, what clothes you wear. Because I think what people are missing is one, the right now all the hype is around the art and the collectibles, but that's very similar to what I saw with the internet in 95 when people were just focused on search engines and browsers. And it seemed 
to follow exactly the same path, which is why this Web 3.0 thing feels very real to me. One, the macro of NFT is here to stay. Books, when, when Salt sells tickets in three years, it will be in the form of an NFT, which will then be its ticket, but then becomes a digital asset for the future, which people may have in their public wallets in seven years. And I meet you know, Darcy at a business meeting and instead of just Googling him or looking at his Instagram, I'm gonna look at his public wallet and be like, oh, you've gone to Salt for seven years? We've got a connection. So I, I think that there's a very similar thing here brewing, but it is a digital asset. It is a digital asset that is non, that is authenticated on the blockchain, which creates an incredible provenance and, and uh, authenticity layer that is going to matter in our society. So I'm an old fogey. Let me see if I can characterize it. You say yes or no. At the end of the day, it is an original. And so you have to think about it as a virtual original. So if I've got a piece of art that's digitized, but I actually have the code that's assigned to it in an NFT, I own that original piece of art, but I own it in the ether. Is that fair to say? Yes, but I think the thing that everyone, this is what happens when Banksy, you know, excuse me, not Banksy, same, same shit. People sells, yep. When, when Mike sells his art for 69 million and when NBA Top Shot does a quadrillion dollars, you know, out of nowhere, everyone is so, rightfully so, so focused there. Anthony, I think the thing for people to understand is why does this really matter? Because your apartment is going to be, this is a ledger. This is a ledger no different than the ledger that the county has for your home. This is going to be the underlining infrastructure for contracts. People are going to get married on the blockchain. Their, their certificate will be an NFT. This is, this is how people are gonna do leases, sell their homes. And they're all the intellectual property in the world is gonna play in this ecosystem. So if you're a music artist, you can, you can sell 20% of your IP up front through a token as a pre-sale mixtape so that early fan base can be a part of it because it's all gonna be ledgered in perpetuity against every royalty. Imagine if Nirvana came out today and said, hey, for our earliest fans, we're gonna give away 20% of our royalties in perpetuity if you buy this token for $2,000 because we don't wanna sign with this label, right? And give up all our rights all of a sudden, we've got a scenario where here I am today, every time Teen Spirit's playing on Spotify, because I happen to be in the Pacific Northwest in 1989 and believed in that band, I'm retired. That's exact, I mean, you're talking about a substantial shift in the way economics play out. Okay, I think, I think, it's, I think it's a brilliant description. Uh, you're a great simplifier of complex things. What do NFTs mean for the culture, is it good or bad for the culture, good or bad for business? It's good. Innovation's always good. Anything, you know, it, anything they, bad about it? Of course, there's, about there's, it? there's unlimited things that are potentially bad. It's the human race. You know, we're Star Wars out here. The dark side and the Jedi's are very close to each other, but the good always wins in the end. I mean- You, you and I are on a good side, okay? You that's right, that. and I do know that. I would my children say to me, okay, one of my kids calls me Darth Vader. Well, we don't care. It's another like, podcast for another of, day. In terms of artists, athletes, intellectual property in general, good, right? Good for the artist, bad oh. for the people that used to sit in the middle and take huge economics for being in the middle. 
Right. So, so, but, but isn't that true about everything with decentralized yes. finance, yes. decentralized yes. contracting? Yep. It What's sure happening is. is the blockchain and the internet and the. But it's funny. All this Correct. But it's funny. Middleman the, out. The internet. We were like, oh, the middleman. The internet was a preview. Blockchain is an extremity. Now the problem is all these artists, athletes, they're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm not giving up any of my bag anymore to these people. They they walked into a buzzsaw. There's another part of it. You have to create demand. It's all cool and awesome that you can keep all the economics. But if you're unable to generate demand, it doesn't matter if you can, 100% of zero is zero. So be be the consumer brand guru that you are. How should consumer brands think about their NFT strategy? It depends what you are. So let's use let's use high fashion luxury. I think they you know they'll probably be the slowest to the space. Even though LVMH has been very aggressive and done a lot of creative stuff already. In general, every single brand has the ability to turn these into tokens that forget about the representing the physical item, which I think will become norm. They're going to be able to create events, access. Every membership card that you've ever thought of is now going to play on this chain because unlike uh, all the dynamics off chain, there's royalty components when people trade. You know, when you think about the trillions, think about this for a second, the trillions of dollars that are sold every year in collectability silliness, is the word I'm using. Uh, a key chain, look, look at your backdrop, right? Like everything behind you right now, after your original purchase, when that, if you decided to sell that Superman sign that I see, and you sold it on eBay, DC is not making a royalty on that. With the blockchain, they will. There is going to be no reason why anybody on earth is not going to make an NFT either just standalone or encompassing to the physical item because, because they're creating a tangible asset that they can have economics against. As a brand, you need to use it as a token to do a field pass to a football game, right? To, to do a VIP dinner. Let's say Louis Vuitton put out 50 gold tokens, LBs, and sold them for a million dollars, a million. What they could back end into that. This is front row at every fashion show in the world. This is getting the product, 50 new products a year, a month before everybody. They can start layering these dynamics, but then what gets cool is when you buy it, eh, now you're like, I don't, I'm, min, I'm minimalism now. I'm done with those kind of things. I'm gonna sell it for 1.1 million because there's only 50 in the world. They're still getting, they're getting another derivative bite at the apple instead of issuing another one and having somebody cancel. This is going to be a very big deal. That is just one tiny example of it. So May the 5th is of significance to you, yes? Five, five? Five, five. Five is my favorite number. Yes, Um, tell me why and tell me what you're doing on five, five. I'm launching, so- By the way, it's also my wife's birthday. I I love it. At public service announcement. (laughs) Yes, I've got her a great gift and an even better card. Uh, The card is the key. Um, my assistant, who happens to be John Darcy's wife, perhaps she could have bought that card. I just want to make sure that everybody knows Transparency, that. like the blockchain. Yes, yes, um, I'm launching a, an NFT project. There's only been two times in my life that I felt those spidey senses that I felt in early January this year about the NFT thing. One was in 95 when I saw the internet for the first time in my life. And instead of opening up 800 
liquor and wine shops for my dad, like I was planning on doing. I decided I was gonna launch winelibrary.com. I'd never owned a computer. I wasn't a techie kid, but I knew this thing was gonna be how humans interacted. The second time was a combination of seeing Friendster, MySpace, and then YouTube was the final piece. And immediately after I saw YouTube, I started a wine show on YouTube, reviewing wine. And I had never thought about being a front-facing personality. I was 30 years old running an e-commerce wine business. I was a businessman. Uh, As soon as I saw the NFT thing, I went to work and I spent the last four months on putting this project together where I've literally doodled because I've been doodling my whole life quietly, um, you know, and created a bunch of characters and, a, and I'm standing up my own intellectual property and created uh, a layers of access underneath. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it, mainly for this reason, mainly for the fact that um, I am going to learn so much about this whole world uh, through the execution. For me, I view myself, I use Gary V as an almost like a investigative anthropologist test kitchen for Gary Vaynerchuk, the actual operator and entrepreneur. So for me, that's what's the biggest thing um, about this, this project for me is that by the end of this month, I will have a completely different extra layer of understanding when I'm having a conversation with somebody sitting on a billion dollar IP, or when I want to invest in a platform or um, some other product. So launching you know, this thing called vFriends, vfriends.com um, is you know, a culmination of my being 45 years old and affected by Transformers and Thundercats and DC Comics and wrestling. Like intellectual property has been an obsession. Anthony, I actually launched VaynerMedia 12 years ago with the main intent of building the best marketing arm in the world and then buying nostalgic IP and refurbishing it through my contemporary marketing machine. So this is a little bit the reverse. I didn't see NFT coming 12 years ago. Um, I didn't realize that I was gonna be able to create intellectual property. Um, what's unique about my, my project is that every single VFriend, 10,255 tokens, is actually a ticket to VCon, a yearly conference that I'm gonna be putting on over a three-year period. So they're getting a three-year ticket. That means they can come to the first year and then decide, you know what? This conference got so hot. Somebody just offered me $12,000 for the token. I'm going to sell it. They're going to make a profit if I can create enough demand by executing on a great project. So building intellectual property, building my ambition for the best tech and business and kind of culture conference and, and really taking a swing at tasting new technology. Well, first of all, I wish you the greatest success and luck with all that. I think you're an amazing entrepreneur. I'm going to switch shift gears for a second. And Darcy and I are going to be out there. We're going to be buying at least one or two tokens that are V-Friend tokens. So I want to, I want to be a V-Friend owner. Thank I've you. been following but, all your doodles on, on Twitter, Gary. I wonder where that was headed. And now we know. You do. But, but, but here's the thing. I want you to talk to the generation that absolutely loves you, okay? That is a younger generation that are my children. Uh, You know, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, and you, okay, are the two people, when people say to me, well, young kids, who do they listen to that are contemporaries of mine? It's you and O'Leary, okay? So one, why is that, okay? What, What do they see in Gary V? 
that draws them in and love spending time with you, being with you? And then what is your messaging to them about entrepreneurship and how do you get them ignited with the fire and passion that you have, Gary? Um, I'm, I'm obsessed with not talking down to anyone ever until I go into the ground. So I think in general, my intuition, I read a lot of direct messages is there's a level of, you know, I don't think they're entitled or lazy, or I think I know unlimited entitled and lazy baby boomers, unlimited entitled and lazy Gen X. And, you know, like there's just unlimited, you know, I don't like to like paint those 15 to 30 year olds the way that a lot of other people want to paint. I I have compassion for their circumstances. They've lived literally in the global empire of society during its probably tipping point. Like, of course, they are taking things for granted. We've got an incredible internet-based society where 13-year-olds can literally make $100,000 selling sports cards on eBay. Like, they don't live in the same reality as we did. So I think, one, they appreciate that. On the flip side, I hate when they're full of shit and they talk about, like, being sad when mommy and daddy are paying for their Uber and their Equinox and their rent and they're complaining and... And so I, it's, you know, honestly, this is perfect. We're, you know, it's, it's my mom's birthday on May 3rd. And I just think that me, the persona, especially that they are attracted to is really just my interpretation of how I was parented, which is incredible optimism and self-esteem building with 100% accountability and no bullshit. And so like my mom was able to walk that tightrope in a way that I rarely see of not over, like making me feel like a trillion bucks, Ant, right? However, everything I did wrong, it was my fault. Like when my baseball team lost and I struck out in a big spot. Accountable self-esteem. Accountable, that's right. What I call practical optimism, which is optimism I think is imperative for success. And all the cynics and like, if you think it's over, it is over. Literally, if you think you're fucked and like like, it's over on the flip side, I think, unfortunately, for a lot of these under 30s, they live through the great era of parents creating eighth place trophies. And like they lost we lost the balance of the conversation with them. Like that looked like this. No, you can't be every like my my little guys like I'm going to be an NBA player. I'm like, brother, listen to me right now. Daddy fucked you up. He did not give you the genetic prowess to have a prayer in this. You want to be an epic D3 point guard and maybe hit a shot and sneak into the NCAA tournament. And like, like maybe if you play every day and lose your mind, like, you know, I think uh, the generation of parents got a little bit there. And, and, and I think that I've, I've hit a chord with them on the balance of the two. And what I would say to them is, when you, act, when you fall in love with accountability and patience, all the anxiety that you're feeling right now changes dramatically. When you think it's your fault or what can I do about it? And you realize that you're 26 years old and you have 80 years to live. And, you, and all the rules of like having shit figured out was based on people dying at 40. You have plenty of time. I'm blown away by the lack of patience. And when you live for outside affirmation by putting entrepreneur in your Instagram, because you think that's cool, you're always going to lose when you're looking for cheering. Because if you're looking for cheering and you become addicted to the cheering 
And even when you get success, I think what really works for me is I get a lot of cheering when you don't fall in love with it and you can't hear it, then you can deal with the booing because when you get there, you get booing too. And I think these kids are too susceptible to the booing because they're addicted with the cheering. And what about social media? Yeah, you're a maverick on social media. You're brilliant at it. Um, I'm sure that you deal with your share of haters on social media, sure. as you know, every adolescent does. Uh, certainly my children, unfortunately, uh, have to deal with it. Anybody that puts themselves out there in performance art as an example, or you know, in our industry, politics, anything, uh, what do you tell the kids there in terms of dealing with the negativity on social media? Um, that if you live your life based on a stranger's opinion of you, let's, let's really actually break this down. A stranger has decided it was a good use of their time to go to your page, your world, and try to tear you down. Really, I tell all my friends, five years old to 500 years old, the same thing. Don't be sad for you. Have compassion and empathy for them. Like the thought of me spending one minute on somebody else's life to tear them down, it's only a reflection of your own inner unhappiness. And so for me, I think empathy and accountability. You know, I get some stuff and I'm like, oh, okay, I see. That adjective's not hitting. Let me take a step back and maybe change that context a little bit. So you can't be like delusional, right? And you can't be like, it's, but, but if somebody's being really nasty, and there's a lot of that, because it's easy to be nasty when you can hide, um, they're in a bad spot, they're hurting. That person's hurting and, and you should be grateful that you're not spending your time going on people's accounts and shitting on them. I'm literally grateful when I see hate. I'm grateful that I'm not in that place and I'm grateful that my life doesn't consist of going to other people and trying to tear them down. I'm on the offense. I think, I think it's well said, but it's it's something that uh, we have to help these kids with because, uh, you know, they get the- Anthony, the way, to, the way to help them, and this is where parents are losing, is we have to build proper self-esteem, not delusional. Just saying right. you're the best, when the kid knows you're not, Right. Only speeds up the problem process yeah. of them not Real, believing. Re- realistic self-esteem, but mm-hmm. also resilience. You know, I tell my kids, if you're having a bad day, think of me getting fired from the White House. Okay, it's a pretty bad <laughs> day, guy. Okay, I mean, you know, at the end you're of the their, day, the, I, the, the issue is, and I'll have this. I have this with my two. Like, when you're their dad, like I can impact everybody way more than I can impact oh, my two. You know, it's just well, a, that game. Look at me. Of course. Look at me. Mm-hmm. That's my kids mm-hmm. with me. Look, right, hundred percent. They, they want to see you, Gary. You know, you know, I bring them to your office for the medication. You know I get I mean? it, brother. I'm here All for it. Right, let me turn it over to the great millennial, the new genius star at Skybridge. Okay, my co-host John Dorsey. You have all this talk about self-esteem. You're actually saying nice things about me, Anthony. This is I'm, this is a good I'm, change of pace. I'm saying nice things about you because I got you stuffed in the Skybridge closet. Now that we're back <laughs> in the office, it's okay? true. Yeah. Thankfully, the camera's good not about myself. I got the, my uh, office, the, the hand trucks, and the, the paper towels that I'm next to. Now that we're back in the office, and Anthony has reclaimed his his beautiful corner office there. But you know, I, I'll uh, I grew up with a humble beginning, so I'll maintain my humility here. But I want to go back to NFTs for a second, Gary, and you He's, you. You have a, a complete you know, business empire, including a sports agency. We were talking before we went live about an athlete that you guys were courting uh, your agency. You ultimately mm-hmm. finished second yep. in that courtship. But I'm curious about, you know, I think athletes are getting wise to what's going on in the NFT space. So when they think about endorsements, they're not just thinking about, okay, Gatorade's going to pay me to in- endorse their drink. 
or, or something of a traditional nature. You saw someone like Patrick Mahomes sold millions of dollars worth of NFTs. And I think increasingly athletes are paying attention to that space. As you're pitching an athlete, or it could be an entertainer, and you're, you're talking about NFT strategy. It almost seems like something that an athlete has to pay attention to now and has to have an NFT strategy the pro- when they're beginning the, their the, career. The, the problem is Mahomes and Gronk hit it perfect. They hit that, mo- that yep. they hit, right? Look what Cuban sold his company for. And had he waited a year and a half, it would have been a totally different outcome. Mahomes and Gronk hit that fever pitch, you know, money grab, luck of the moment, and not luck, I I hate to use that term. They strategically moved quickly, executed, but you have, I mean, Dame Lillard is a much bigger name in culture than than Gronk, but if you look at what's going on right now, athletes, there's an unlimited amount of athletes that have put out their stuff. I didn't see the Trevor Lawrence you know, launch, but like the, the, the roses, you know, the blooms are off the rose, right? The roses off the bloom, like it's over. The supply and demand is over. And so athletes have to look at it, but athletes have a substantial issue. And so do artists for that matter. People get very confused. Like, yes, they should all have a strategy and they should all do it. Mazel tov, now go sell it. If you're, you know, if you're a, a, a very famous wide receiver, in football, you're not even in the game of conversation. Have you ever looked at athletes' followings versus one TikToker that dances? They're just not as famous as they think they are. The league contracts, the logos they wear carry a lot of weight. So the answer is yes, they should definitely do that. But my my big push to all of them is, have you actually cared about your audience? Have you built a community? Or do you think just because I'm a cornerback in the league, my NFT should sell? Because there, let me give you, and this is something both of you know very well. There's a very simple game called supply and demand. The amount of supply of NFTs that are gonna be in the world in 2022 is gonna be unlimited. Every person, every intellectual property, every cock and hairy idea, everything. And that only has so much demand against it. And I think people are gonna get into some rude awakenings of how much of an audience they actually have, which will then, John, create a whole new game, which is if you wanna be a big boy or a big girl and you wanna not take the bag from the big brand that's paying you up front, you better build an actual community because you're gonna get humbled real quick. Right, do you think you know there's there's froth in the NFT market today? You mentioned about the timing of the Mahomes and the Gronk drops. We're right around the time when things were just going crazy. I mean, NBA Top Shots. You alluded to it. You know th- those things, just very ordinary highlights that were commons were going for significant amounts of money. That market has cooled off. I, I've been on NBA Top Shots, and and the way I think about it now is just investing in things that you're truly passionate about. Do you think that? that there's going to be less of a shift uh, or more of a shift away from speculation in the world of NFTs and more passion investing, passion buying, or how do you think that space is going to evolve? Oh, I think 98% of the projects that come out in 2021 will not be good investments. Like, so I would consider that froth. I mean, I'm not a Wall Street guy, but you know, that sounds like froth. And by the way, that might be, I mean, yeah, I think, I think we're in for a rude awakening. Now it feels John, you're too young for this, but us old dogs like me and Mooch, we know this. When the internet bubble on the market collapsed, right? <laughs> collapsed in April, March, April, 2000. Everybody came out and said, see, internet fad, bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And what was really happening was it was the most significant consumer trend of our time. 
It was just that people rushed to making a quick bag. And that's what we're seeing in NFTs. You know, so 98% froth. On the flip side, I'll give you one. I, I own 52 of them. There's 10,000 of them. I think CryptoPunks is going to end up being one of the great investments of the alternative modern market. They were the first NFT project on the Ethereum chain, right? ERC-20 tokens uh, that inspired the ERC-721 protocol. There's an OG-ness to them. They're already $65,000 at Ethereum's current price as a floor price, right? So they're not inexpensive by any matter, but only 1% of the world, if that, is really up to date to how big and how this is going to all play out. You can see how that's going to compound. So I think it's a really interesting time if we're talking NFT investing in individual tokens from just a collectible standpoint. I think what we spent the majority of this upfront on, and definitely what my project's built on, is the token can represent real life stuff in its contract. And I think that is going to absolutely explode once people calibrate, oh, this isn't a famous person holding up a a photo and selling off that NFT. This is about real life tangible value. Oh, by the way, some of the most thoughtful things will, like the next Pokemon will be created originally as an NFT and then go on to be something very meaningful. Though, you know, the way, I mean, Pokemon was a card game, John, and a video game. That's not how IP was built in 1957. It was built through cartoons. It was built through, right, toys. So like things things, things evolve. And uh, I think that's a little bit of a recap of where I see this space right now. Yep. You, you alluded to cryptocurrencies a little bit. You talked about the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum has been on fire in the la- even in the last couple of weeks. It's up over 50%. Bitcoin is obviously up, you know, several hundred percent over the last year or so. Um, and, and we're investors in Bitcoin through Skybridge, and, and I know Anthony and I personally have some Bitcoin holdings. You've talked about how you're more enthusiastic about the NFT side of things than you are necessarily about the cryptocurrency side of things. Where do you see the cryptocurrency world moving? And you've also touched on the environmental impact and concerns you have around that. So you know, how do you look at cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others, uh, as well as the environmental context of that? My, my enthusiasm comes from my knowledge base. So I don't really have a strong point of view on a cryptocurrency being a better investment asset than an NFT. I understand NFT because of nostalgia and collectability so much more than trading just on currency. And I also know that the utility aspect of being able to use the, the currency in real world is going to be a huge factor. And, or, and so I... I like to stay in my lane. So this is not, my statements have not been a, oh, I think NFTs will be a better investment. They may not be even close. I do, I do think NFTs as a whole is the whole thing, whereas currencies are fragmented, just like individual uh, NFTs are fragmented. So I think a, as a whole, the, it's just going to be civilization, right? You're going to have currencies and you're going to have assets and that's what, how our world lives. So I think they can play out evenly that way. So. To me, the NFT statement is more about, oh, I really understand how people interact with, with you know, social currency, like human psychology of why they need it, and definitely on the collectible and derivative value. As far as the environmental, I mean, you, you see already the advancements in four minutes in the scheme of things on L2, you know, technology and, and, and proof of stake. And like, you know, it's unbelievable to me how quickly technology moves, right? As people rightfully start bringing up concerns around the environmental aspects, Ethereum itself, 
is evolving to its entire, you know, adjustment to the need of that much energy. You have unlimited, incredibly interesting chains popping up that are, you know, built in a manner where they're dramatically more eco-friendly. And I actually think some of the biggest companies in the world are gonna be affected by this because when the blockchain ecosystem kind of quote unquote cleans up its energy game, because it is, because it's getting pointed with that, you know, Amazon services, is an interesting impact. Uh, Netflix, like, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see where this actually takes us to other places. It's really easy for a lot of people to say, oh, look at that thing over there because they're not playing at it. If we're going to, you know, all of a sudden that same person, when you tell them, you know, your seven hours that you're watching Netflix, you know, a weekend is something to talk about. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. From what I can tell, and this is not my biggest depth of expertise, I've been very impressed with the speed of new chains popping up that are playing on that space. And then Ethereum itself getting to L2, level two kind of dynamics that are going to be addressing that, plus its core OGness around proof of stake, proof of work, addressing those aspects. So I want to switch gears a little bit. And we try to ask this question to everybody we've had on. We started this Salt Talk series early in the pandemic when we realized we weren't going to be able to do our conferences but we still wanted to have these fun conversations with creators, investors, entrepreneurs about what you learned during the pandemic. You know, I think for a lot of people, it crystallized in their mind, the move to the digital economy and the digital world that, that crystallized in their mind, NFTs or, or work from home and all the implications that has on our society. Uh, what did you learn? So what are some of your biggest takeaways uh, about business, about life uh, that you've gleaned from this time during the pandemic? It was less about learning and more about affirming my greatest belief, which is that during times of adversity, people get exposed. And so, and and not in a negative way, exposed in all different ways. I think that you saw the acceleration of everybody being their true self. So if you were negative and pessimistic, you know, you became more. Um, if you were accountable and were ready, you know, some people saw this, you know, as from a business standpoint, from a family standpoint, take away the incredible devastating aspects of the serendipity of who got sick and didn't and died. Those, those are, that's on a whole different level. You know, that, that's a variable that is, is, is devastating and, and should be put in a category on itself. But in the day to day, what you saw was there are certain people that are wartime generals and there's certain people that are peacetime generals. And I've always believed that. And you know, I've already had two little moments in my career. 9-11 was really difficult for me. You know, our business just started, our entire business was Wall Street in the scheme of things on the wine business front. And there was a lot going on there. And then obviously the 2008 recession, you know, I just, we're just starting up VaynerMedia and the wine business. And there was a lot to go through. And this was the third chapter of like, not frothy, exciting, easy, everybody's winning. C players look like superstars. And I think this one probably had the biggest toll because it was a mental game, right? People were encapsulated. There was no escapism for a lot of people outside of alcohol and drug. You know, it was like really, you know, some of that kind of real stuff, John. So I think you know, for me, it was less about learning and it was probably the final nail in the coffin for something that I've always believed, which is things accelerate during times like this. And I watched from afar, forget about me, I observed so many during this time and it became very obvious to me on that truth. Do you think the world is going to go back to the way it was 
pre-pandemic, you know, you talk about New York City, oh, you're it, it a can't. proud New Yorker. It you know, can't. Sand. Yeah. It can't because it wouldn't be in the same place if there was no pandemic two years later. That's just not how it works. But something of this size, oh, I think it's a major change. I think people are actually underestimating it. You know why? People are very basic in the way they think about this. They, is it going to go back? They're like, oh, are we going to travel? Are we going to go to the office? That's like nothing. That's like a tiny, tiny part of this. We have formed enormous new consumer behaviors. I mean, doing a Zoom or a Hangout like this feels incredibly normal now for everybody, which means it will happen. Like every one of us is doing one less trip for one meeting and we're going to do it like this because we're going to. Every one of us has picked up on a new app, a new behavior, a new purchase, uh, a new interest, a new relation. I mean, like, you know, everything, everything has changed because of this is a major global event. Um, the fact that I now please, look like Will Smith, though, is that something I should be worried about? You look great, actually. I'm actually no. extremely jealous of how you look. No, I'm saying that Will Will Smith and I both are carrying that dad bod now. I, no, I, listen, I think, I think you look great. I think he looks great, too. <laughs> no, I, we, we need I, practical self-esteem, Gary, not not false, delusion. Uh, you, you false give, hope. You give, me, you give me false hope, Gabbard. I love you for it. Listen, I can't see the rest of your body here. I see the face and the hair. I mean, shit, I wish I had that oh, hair. The hair, the hair that's an Italian chia pet. You know, I yeah, didn't, that hair has been your core I strength. I didn't I didn't grow up in the Ukraine. No, this you know, is yeah, this is that this is that Eastern European, it's gonna go away real fast. Right. Belarus, think, Anthony, come on. I think uh, I think uh I think that um I think everything's changed. And what I mean by that is Many things will go back, but John, people will be doing things that they don't even realize that they've changed on because it's such a change to our behavior. I want to finish with a final word on V Friends. This episode, we're, we're taping it on May 3rd, full transparency. It's airing on May 5th yep. as of 8 a.m. Eastern time this morning. If you're watching this episode, V Friends will be live. How do people engage with that project? How do they buy V Friends? What are the mechanics? Act like you're talking to a five-year-old or a 65-year-old. What's the opening price for VFriend, you think, a VFriend coin? So the lowest tier, because there's a lot of different tiers, is a three Ethereum, which now is like 9,000 bucks, um, but is on a Dutch auction, Anthony. I was concerned that I had enough of a big base of people with wealth that I was worried everyone was going to get shut out. So I went Dutch auction. I capped all the pricing, and it actually descends as the time goes down. Um, so it goes from three to 0.5 Ethereum in its descending curve. They go to befriends.com, John. They connect their wallet. So starting right away, I know 99% are like, what? So this is where you need a wallet, MetaMask, uh, any wallet that's compatible with, with uh, Wallet Connect. Now this, you know, a lot of people have a Coinbase, but they, don't, you know, but they don't have an active wallet to buy NFTs. And so you'll need one of those. Um, and then once you connect it, you just literally do it just like a credit card. You click the button. Now, what scares a lot of people is that with you pay a little gas fee and then it takes a little bit. People are used to immediate now with credit cards and all that. So people buying their first NFT are always a little scared because like, did I just, do, you know, you see it all the time. Even like technically sound people like, wait a minute, I don't see the money in my account, but I don't see the token. What the? And so there's a little bit of that that goes on with it. But, I, you know, what's fun for me is, I launched winelibrary.com in 1995, excuse me, 1996, and actually launched in 97, built in 96. People were scared crapless, John, to put a credit card into the computer. They thought it would get stolen and used. And so we're living it all over again with these 
crypto wallets, non-custodial wallets, us being in control of all those dollars. There's all these new things like 12, 12 word phrases from MetaMask. Obviously Top Shot decided to go fiat and build a layer there. And there's a lot of, you'll see a lot of projects that you'll be able to use a credit card. For me, it was important to be very crypto native to this project. I wanted to be an authentic Ethereum project and I wanted to educate people how to really use ETH for execution. Gary Vaynerchuk, it's a pleasure to have you on Salt Talks. Anthony, you have a final word for Gary before no, we let him I'm, go? I'm, I'm one of his hugest fans, okay? I'm not a millennial. I'm not a kid that uh, just graduated from college, but I'm still a Gary V follower, and I am a huge fan. And I got to tell you, Gary, you're an inspiration of a lot of people, so keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. And uh, I will be a proud owner of a Va- Gary V V friends. I can't Gary wait to see v. what you get. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, uh, Darcy's going to explain it to me because he's more technologically savvy. <laughs> We're going to go shopping on Wednesday him, morning. I'm going to give him my credit shopping. card numbers. I know that's going to be really bad for me, but the good news is he dresses like shit. So I'm not he can only spend so much. Just don't I give it, it to your wife, Darcy, and I'll be fine. But I will be owning a V card. Uh, today's <laughs> broadcast, May 5th, before the end of the day, I will be owning a V friend, a friend. token. A V friend token. Uh, I can't wait. I'll I'll be a proud owner of that. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. And I'm going to work really, what I did really smart, I think, and we'll see if history proves it out, is I created all these off the chain dynamics to create the economy. When that first conference, you know, John, I have the advantage of seeing where these all lay out at, knowing what people paid for it, and then producing the event in reverse. Right. So I just have to understand what they went in for, make sure that I crushed that first conference and then that gives Anthony the ability after it happens, if he wants to make a little profit, he's been good at this throughout his career, he can transact. He's a trader by heart. So I got to put him in the right position so that well, he- I'm, I'm going to be a buy and I'm going to be a hodler. You're a hodl? <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Thank you. I got to run. Yeah, thanks, Gary. God Cheers. God bless. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's Salt Talk with the great Gary Vaynerchuk. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk, or any of our previous SALT Talks, you can access them on our website at salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. Uh, we're on social media. We're most active on Twitter at SALT Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. And please spread the word about these SALT Talks. We always like to start every conversation with a primer so that uh, anyone, no matter how far along they are on their uh, crypto journey or their NFT journey, can learn a little bit about what NFTs are or, or whatever subject matter we're talking about. They can start from zero. And we hopefully did that today. So please spread the word about these SALT Talks, including this talk with Gary. Uh, but on behalf of Anthony and the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon. 